This is Dan from Burlington, Vermont, and I'm tuned in to the new TNN. Culture Addicts, welcome back to the new TNN podcast. My name is Johnny C, and I am happy to launch this little micro-series endeavor here on the feed that we're lovingly calling Galaxy Man. What are we going to do here on Galaxy Man? Well, it's pretty straightforward, very simple, but also very involved. Ooh, what does that mean? Well, we're going to stack rank Star Wars. All of it. Well, not all of it. So, Star Wars is a beloved media franchise that covers books, comic books, movies, lunchboxes, fruit snacks, flamethrowers, little dolls, all sorts of stuff, happy meals, everything you could possibly imagine. But as of this date, that being sometime in May 2023... There are 15 pieces of live-action Star Wars-based entertainment of a canonical nature. Sure, there's all sorts of live-action Star Wars that doesn't count, like the holiday special, Ewoks, the Caravan of Courage, Ewoks, the Battle for Endor, maybe something else that I'm forgetting about, but we're not going to include it. So, all jokes aside and crazy introduction shenanigans, folks, It's a three-episode series. Today is Galaxy Man Episode 1, where we're going to talk about what are, in my opinion, the five least of the Star Wars multimedia empire. So, what's up for consideration here? The nine episodic films of the Star Wars Skywalker saga, the two films that are Star Wars stories, and the four live-action Disney Plus Star Wars television shows. Sure, you know, comparing a TV show that has multiple seasons, etc., etc., to a film is not exactly apples to apples, but the world isn't perfect. Um, Obviously, Elephant in the Room, Ahsoka debuts here in just a few months, and, uh, you know, we can't include it, because I've never seen it. I'm sorry. Other elephant in the room, I, uh, two of the Star Wars series that are going to be talked about today are still ongoing. So I guess we're going to have to take the rankings with a grain of salt. 
you know, I guess it could change if they really, really, really botch the ending. But uh, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, And just a brief introductory editor's note, okay? I love Star Wars. I love it so goddamn much. And I want to say this with all sincerity. Ranking, uh, you know, assigning a numeric value to these artistic endeavors um, may seem futile because it's just one person's opinion, okay? But I think it's fun to talk about Star Wars, and I think people enjoy listening to discussions like this about stuff that they enjoy. And so, honestly, I thought it would be fun to do. But I want to say, I I love all of Star Wars. I mean, I really do. Um, I've read a few books here and there. I've read some comics and what have you. And I really dig that stuff. I'm glad it exists. But... And the animated series as well. A lot of respect for that. I really do. And we'll talk, we're going to talk about some of the animated stuff organically because a large portion of the shows especially start to incorporate elements from the animated series. And, you know, obviously Ahsoka, we just briefly mentioned. Uh, so, you know, I'm not trying to throw shade at anything like that. All right? It's just not possible to do. I haven't seen every episode of everything, etc., etc., But please keep in mind, and this is the real one big caveat I want to put out there, okay? Even the lowest ranked of Star Wars live-action entertainment, I find value in. Like, I really, really do. I don't hate any of these 15 pieces of entertainment. I don't. I like some more than others. Even, God help me, number 15... There, there is a lot to like about whatever ends up being number 15. And the same goes with 14 and 13 and 1. There's, you know, even number 1 has cons, which, we'll, you know, we'll get there when we get there in our final Galaxy Man episode. Uh, and it's nice that there's 15 of them because we can do 5, 5, 5. Uh, do you remember what Arby's used to sell five roast beef sandwiches for $5? You know, if you don't believe in inflation, well, there you go. There you go right there. That doesn't happen anymore. It's like $5 for one. Practically. And I'm not saying, yeah, whatever. Enough about Arby's. Um, But so don't. This is not a show that's designed to start like a flame war. Do people still say that? Is that something people still do on the internet? Do they flame each other? Like, sure, some of these movies I'm going to take to task. But at the same time, I I I find merit in them. And that's why. That's why... The discussion is going to be framed in the following manner. I'm going to unveil my picks one at a time. And for each pick, we're going to give a pros and cons list to just give some of my overview feelings on the film. And of course, as we get closer to one, there may be less cons and more pros, but that's, you know, I'm trying to be equal and fair. And it's all stream of consciousness. You know, I started with the pro, the big pro for each one of these pieces. And then I started working my and talking myself through pros and cons. You know, I tried to do sort of a compliment sandwich, maybe a pro, then a con, then a pro, but it doesn't always work that way. It's very free form. It's structured, but also unstructured. And that's kind of the way my mind works. But I promise I'll do my best to make sure we don't get lost. But that's what we're doing here. You know, I'm not going to talk about each movie and be like, this is the best scene, this is the best musical moment. Oh God, though, I could do that, but we'd be here forever. 
Uh, it's pros and cons. It's sort of ebb and flow. And these rankings could change someday. The closer you get to the top, I think the more locked in we are. But, you know, and it's probably not going to match yours. If it does match yours, great. If it doesn't, yell at your phone as you listen to me or yell at your TV. Does anybody listen to me on their TV? Man, that'd be kind of cool. Mom, I made it to the big time. I'm on the TV. Anyway, uh, so all introductions aside, I think we're. I think you got it. I think we're going to be able to go with this. We've got a lot of ground to cover, and we have to traverse to a galaxy far, far away. So let's get started with the list. Number 15. Star Wars. Episode 9. The Rise of Skywalker. To the surprise of no one, I'm sure it's not coming as a big shock to anybody. I'm going to say this, though. I love Star Wars, warts and all. I'm not here to, like, rant and rave about The Rise of Skywalker. I will try to be as mature about this as possible. You know, I still think that Rise of Skywalker has a lot of positive things to it. And if you want to just, you know, solely talk about American blockbuster films, I mean, it's better than a lot. It really is. Uh, As a Star Wars film, though, I think it fails because it doesn't adhere to a traject a preordained trajectory the sequel trilogy is this it's a problem with the entire sequel trilogy um it's ironic i mean one two and three are probably the most tight but that's not what this is about that's not what this is about that's a whole other star wars conversation so as i promised the pros and the cons i will say this is the only time i've watched anything star wars related including whatever's number 14 13 whatever where as soon as the credits hit i knew I knew that what I watched was not, I don't know what, it, what, it was not something. It, I was disappointed right away. You know, um, I never walked away from any piece of Star Wars material disappointed, but I did when I watched Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker, which is just another reason why it's number 15. But here we go. Here we go. Let's do some, let's do some actual conversation. All right. So, pro, Kylo Ren in this film continues to be, in my opinion, the best part of the sequel trilogy. I think Kylo Ren's a ridiculously interesting character. And there are some little things and big things he does throughout the entire trilogy uh, that make him interesting to me. Um, in this particular film, I think the the scene on the the ruin, on the ruins of the Death Star, I always said the remnants of the Death Star, so the Vincent Man voice with uh, Han Solo is tremendous. I also love, I love this, in Return of the Jedi, when Han Solo... Uh, gets uh, surrounded by those Imperial troops in the in the forest, and he's like, what? He, like, shrugs, like, oh, come on! That's the same thing that Ben Solo does when he pulls the lightsaber out in front of the Knights around, and he's like, oh, come on! He does, like, a little a little Triple H curtsy, but he's like, eh, all right, we can do this. It, it, you know, it, that's just a little thing. That's not, that shouldn't really matter. But uh, I do think that what, you know, and this isn't about what the screenplay chooses to do with Kylo Ren. I just think that, you know, Adam Driver's performance is is worth it. Uh, Adam Driver does Kylo Ren right, and Kylo Ren does Star Wars right, in my opinion. Con! The dead speak. Oh my god. You know, Star Wars Episode Three starts the opening crawl with one word, exclamation point, end of first sentence. War! This might be 
this is the opposite of that because war exclamation point is an awesome first sentence in a Star Wars crawl. It's cheesy and a little ridiculous, and it sounds like well, it sounds like a fucking 1940s newsreel. War! The Republic has taken control of the separatist homeworld of Geonosis. Meanwhile, wait a minute, that's just the Clone Wars cartoon. But that is a 40s announcer guy. Did you kidsters know that? Uh, yes, it is true. The dead do speak. Somehow Palpatine has returned. And it's unfortunate that we never get to hear the dead speak. If we play Fortnite, however, we can hear it. If you don't believe me, just Google Palpatine Star Wars, Palpatine Fortnite. It's real. A pro, Lando Calrissian is back. I love me some Lando Calrissian. I'm happy to see Billy D. Williams here. Sure, he doesn't really do much, but he still has that Lando charm. It's unfortunate, really, uh, because Han, Leia, and Luke all feel organically placed into the new trilogy. You know, mostly. Uh, you know, we'll talk about that when we get to episode eight, whether or not you agree with Luke as a old man, angry guy or not. But Lando feels the most shoehorned in of all of them. He just happens to be on that planet where they have to go to find the thing. Come on, man! What's smarter than this? As Obi Wan would say. Come on, man! Uh, Con, Lando is a dad. Like, hey, there's nothing wrong with Lando being a dad. I'm sure that fucker shoots all over the galaxy. But the idea that uh, Jaina, I think her name is, is his long-lost daughter. Is Not his long-lost, is the daughter he had that got kidnapped is so half-baked and not even, like, it's not even put in the oven in this screenplay. And the fact that they actually left a little bit of that in there to be shown on screen is just ridiculous. You gotta cut that shit out because you didn't talk about it. Lando never even talks about his daughter. It's just dumb. It's dumb. It's not... Look, not the idea on a conceptual basis is dumb, but the execution is dumb. Pro. Speaking of Jaina, the leader of the of the, um, the troops that uh, rebelled against the First Order that live on the forest moon of Endor, near the remnants of the second Death Star, the idea of child soldiers rebelling is poignant. I think they're all black as well. Why does this matter? Well, Finn, also played by John Boyega, a black man, um, this has to be some sort of an allegory for uh, children soldiers in African nations that, you know, are taken from their homes at birth and, you know, militarized and uh, brainwashed to serve as children soldiers, uh, you know, children soldiers, which is a terrible, awful thing. I'm not advocating for that, obviously. But what I am saying is there's some sort of an idea here. There's some sort of an... And that's what science fiction is supposed to do. Good science fiction is supposed to tell a story about right now. You know, if, if there's a great work of science fiction that takes place in the year 3000, not Battlefield Earth, even though it takes place in the year 3000, it's supposed to say something about right now, not the year 3000. So that's sort of one of the things that makes me lean into this. I love this idea. I love the idea of all of these child soldiers, these kids, well, they're not children anymore, but all these soldiers that were taken from their homes, you know, were awakened by the Force. Like the Force awakened, maybe. Again, just 
this oh god this movie i'm getting angrier as i'm thinking about it because it it it's cobbled together and it's such a course correction and i'm doing course correction in the finger quotes thing here because people bitched about the last jedi i'm not bitching about it but i love the idea that that's here and uh, i grasp at it as you can tell i try to make it better than it's delivered to us it that's and that's my next con the idea of that being a thing and finn being their leader uh, and Finn, that and that being Finn's role in the sequel trilogy of a soldier who rebelled and leads other soldiers to find that as well. Good stuff, but it needed more time to bake. Pro, the Knights of Ren are finally here, and they look awesome. Con, the Knights of Ren are just cannon fodder. We get no true explanations as to how they are the Knights of Ren, or why they are the Knights of Ren. I know where they are. They're on that fucking Imperial ship. And then they're on uh, the planet, and they blow up Chewie. No, they don't blow up Chewie. But it's just... The Knights of Ren, and, and it's it's probably my fault. It's the same thing with Captain Phasma. Like, she looks cool, so we think she's going to be cool, and I have no problems with her, but we it's the Boba Fett problem, too. Uh, we'll talk about all that. It's just, it's unfortunate that, you know, because Kylo Ren is the leader of the Knights of Ren. Snoke says that, so we should get some explanation. Like, say what you want about the prequels, but, you know, we get the idea of what Sith are. It's just, I shouldn't have to read a book, or watch a cartoon, or look at a comic to understand the film. That's a big rule for me when it comes to Star Wars, Okay. I shouldn't have to do outside research. Now, I don't mind doing that outside research as a nerd. But you shouldn't have to do that research. And I feel like with the Knights of Ren, you have to. Let's do another pro, though, because I'm feeling myself getting very negative. I like the scene when they're on the planet Kojimi, a.k.a. planet crumbling Soviet Union, uh, when Rey and Kylo Ren have the fight when Kylo Ren is on the surface and Rey is in the ship and they fight in Kylo Ren's uh, room where Vader's mask is. I like that fight scene quite a bit. Say what you will about forced dyads and what have you. I like that they can affect what's happening where the other person is as a co- as a uh, side effect of being a forced dyad. So it's cool. I like it. I like it quite a bit. Khan, also while they're on Kojimi, C-3PO has this insanely poignant, beautiful, heart-wrenching, tear-jerking moment. And they played it to great effect in the trailer. Maybe I should blame the trailer for this. But in the trailer, the music gets really soft. It's like, Uh, 3PO, what are you doing? Taking one last look at what? At my friends. This Christmas. The saga ends. And C-3PO does sacrifice himself for about five minutes. Because he, he has his memory bank blown, and then he gets it back later. Like, it's just dumb. It's dumb. It's a shitty... It's a shitty... Um, uh, implied consequence. It's like, oh yeah, this it's a, it's a fake stake. This movie's gonna have stakes. No, it's a fake stake. Pro. 
this movie was intended to be general or princess. I always when I think of her, she's royalty. This was supposed to be Princess Leia's film in the sequel trilogy. The way that Han's uh, episode seven is Han's film, episode eight is Luke's film. Uh, when it comes to the originals, and episode nine was supposed to be Leia's. And we're still on the pros here. It was intended to be Leia's, and they did everything they could. Con, they couldn't do much. And I'm not... Because I, I don't want it to make it sound like I'm angry about that one. Or that it's like, you know, why couldn't you think of anything? I mean, that's a tough spot to be in with Carrie Fisher passing away. Um, I don't know what else to say. It's just a bummer of, of bad bad consequence or bad circumstance. I don't know why I said consequence. Pro! In the final battle, Rey finally speaks to all the Jedi and some of our favorite Jedi throughout history return! Con! They return in audio format only. And to be honest with you, it kind of doesn't make much internal logic sense. Like, Mace Windu didn't I don't know, maybe Mace Windu taught himself, knew how to fucking become one with the Force. I'm still a little muddy on becoming one with the Force, okay? Uh, Like, Anakin, like, when Darth Vader dies, he doesn't fade away like Obi-Wan does, but somehow his Force ghost is at the moon of Endor celebration. I don't know what to tell you. I really don't. But, I'll say this. Do yourself a favor, and go to your YouTube machine, and YouTube, uh... Like the the rise of Skywalker, like better ending or some shit like that, and you will find at least three or four videos that amateur filmmakers have. I'm assuming they're amateurs. It might be real filmmakers in disguise on YouTube, and that's fine. But what I'm saying is, there have been people that have added in Force ghosts of like Qui Gon Jinn, Obi Wan Kenobi, Anakin, Yoda, hell, even Mace Windu, and like other Jedi, and Luke, and even Leia. And Ray like, fights back with them watching. And then, you know, Anakin Skywalker even, like, merges with Ray to kill Palpatine. You know, because he's the chosen one. He's the one that's supposed to kill Palpatine. He's the only one that can bring balance to the Force. Whatever that means. It's always kind of vague, but that's fine. Um, and I'm just saying that that person did that with archival footage. Surely you could do the same, J.J. Abrams. Surely you could have done something a little bit more. You know, now that I think of it, I'm kind of running out of pros. So let me just hit hit us all with the biggest con I can think about right now. The fact that Darth Sidious, Emperor Palpatine himself, was resurrected purely as a course correction. I've read Duel of the Fates, Colin Trevero's original Star Wars Episode Nine screenplay. Or I haven't just read a summary of it. I don't want to speak tales out of, out of school. But regardless, when Episode Nine was originally written, and that's another thing you can do for yourself, if you... If you really don't like The Rise of Skywalker and you want to know what was what could have been, famously, Colin Trevorrow, the director of Jurassic World, wrote and was supposed to direct Episode Nine. He was removed from the project after Ryan Johnson's The Last Jedi was so poorly received by angry white men. And then, uh, somehow, after Episode Nine was tanked by critics... Uh, somehow the outline of his film became available on the internet. I don't know who leaked it, but it's called Star Wars Episode Nine: Duel of the Fates. Yes, named after that awesome song. Koro sifo mata yato horoto seko mata yaflo ho. 
you know, Duel of the Fates. Did anybody else call TRL to request Duel of the Fates? I did. Man, being alive in the TRL era. But the fact that Darth Sidious is even here is just stupid. And I'm trying to avoid words like that. It's just, it seems ill-advised because... Another con. And these all sort of go together. Like, the Sith Eternal, the Final Order, Sidious's Resurrection, uh, Snow Clone shit. Like, all this stuff just happens out of nowhere and with the snap of a fingers. Kylo Ren goes to Exegol. He sees the Emperor for the first time. The Emperor is like, hey, guess what, Kylo Ren? I've got a whole fleet of ships. The ships rise up from the ground. He has, like, I, I just... This is the type of shit that you set up and leave breadcrumbs for in 7 and 8. And they didn't have the chance to leave breadcrumbs in 7 and 8 because they didn't know this was going to be a 9. Emperor Palpatine is not in the original Episode 9 script or story treatment. So, yeah. The Sith Eternal are fine. Like, the fucking people that watch in the auditorium as Darth Sidious fights Rey. Man, there's a lot of Sith Eternal. Like, did they all fucking book it? Like, did they just... How did they get there? Did they live on Exegol? Because there's a lot of fucking lightning, man. How many Sith Eternal died due to random lightning strikes? I mean, it's it's like a fucking Utah sex cult. Man, sorry to all my listeners in Utah. Con Rose Tico, I think that's her last name, gets the Jar Jar Binks treatment. Whether or not you like Rose, let me put it this way. It's okay to not like a character in fiction. It's kind of stupid to say you don't like a character for reasons that aren't really valid. Like, if someone were to say, I find that the Rose character is not relatable because she seems to be very narrowly minded and focused, and she has no, she seems to not have any wiggle room in her beliefs, and I think there's always room for a discussion. To me, I'm like, okay, that's, it seems like you've really thought about this. If you don't like Rose Tico because she has a vagina, I guess fuck yourself? I mean, because that's just kind of a dumb thing. I don't get it. I mean, she's not the... But but the the con is she gets the Jar Jar treatment. And what I mean by that is... And we'll talk about this later. But Jar Jar Binks was intended to be a larger part of the prequel trilogy. But when people got bitchy, Jar Jar's role got reduced. And it really makes Jar Jar's appearance stand out like a sore thumb. As he's so heavily featured in episode one. And it's kind of like, why do we spend all that time with him if we weren't going to spend more time with him? So... It makes The Last Jedi retroactively seem like it wasted time introducing us and letting us get to meet the Rose character because the Rose character becomes completely irrelevant in Episode 9. So all you're doing is telling us that we wasted our time. You only get so much time in each movie. And once they're done, you can't go back and... Well, I guess you can't go back and redo some of them. But you can't, you can't just change that. You've got to stick with shit for better or worse. Uh, Khan, General Hux, who, General Hux has a very stupid arc throughout films 7, 8, and 9. Um, General Hux has an amazing scene in Star Wars Episode 7, uh, where the First Order is lined up like the goddamn Nazis. Now, 
That's not a good thing, but it is a frightening thing. Okay? And by this go-round, is he wearing a diaper? I mean, I don't know. Like, he's just a baby. He's a baby man. He's In episode 7, he's like, You will bow to the first order! And everybody's like, Heil Hawks! You know, which is, you know, creepy. But everybody's like, like the first order, They like all the troopers are like, oof, and they do like the nation of domination salute, or they just salute Hawks. Like, Hawks is frightening. Like, he's an unhinged maniac bent on genocide. In episode 9, he's just a baby man. Uh, let's see. Got some more cards for you. Ochi of Bastoon and his fucking dagger. Do I have to say much more? I don't have a problem with it per se, but it's completely half-baked. The idea is just... It's its unnecessary. Pro! Hey, I found another pro. Because I wrote down the thing about Ochi of Bastoon and his dagger, which made me think of... I like the fact that C-3PO can't read the Sith dagger because of a law that the Senate put in place. Because it makes me think of the prequels. Con. Ray Palpatine. I don't have a problem with Ray being connected to a previously existing character. I don't. But you told me she wasn't. And when you go back on that, I don't think about what it means to the story. I think about how that's a choice that was made. Like, I think about the behind-the-scenes stuff. Like, a lot of people here listen to my wrestling shows. A lot of people here are wrestling fans. You know, when you're watching, like, Hogan and The Rock go out at WrestleMania 18, you're not thinking about backstage politics or what have you. You might after the fact. But you get caught up in the moment. When when they tell Ray that she's a Palpatine, I immediately get taken out of the moment and start thinking about the backstage politics. The Hollywood, like the Hollywood behind the scenes politics. I start thinking about how that's a choice they made because people hated The Last Jedi. And it pisses me the fuck off. And then another con. All it does is make me try to figure out how could Palpatine have a granddaughter because you have to have kids before you can have a granddaughter. And I know there's books and I know they show race parents. But if you, like, I know because I'm a nerd that Palpatine made a bunch of clones and one of his clones was not like a perfect clone of him and he, for some reason he didn't kill him and that clone like grew up and eventually had sex with a woman and they had Ray. But when they show Ray's parents, I don't even, I can't remember if Palp, if we even know like which one is related to Palpatine. Like the reveal that Darth Sidious had a son or a daughter or a dog is something that should have been brought to our attention yesterday. I stole that. Uh, Con. The universe rising up that was set up so elegantly in Star Wars Episode Eight to fight the First Order really amounts to a haphazard, look at all the ships that are on the screen, and we're going to fight a, a little battle for five minutes, and yada, yada, yada. Con, no Coruscant. It's never established at the first... And, and that's another thing. The Duel of the Fates script, the original Episode Nine, spends so much time on Coruscant, which is, like, my favorite planet. Dumb. Con. And this is a big one. At the end of the movie where Rey goes to the desert and, and buries the lightsabers, as she's doing it, she sees Force Ghosts of Luke and Leia. Okay, I mean, it makes sense. But the Force Ghost ending is less like Return of the Jedi and more like the ending of Happy Gilmore 
when Happy looks at the sky and sees the force ghosts of Chubbs, Abraham Lincoln, and the alligator. And it's 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 for it's twofold. One, Carrie Fisher's not actually there, and so they had to recreate it with CGI, and that's not their fault. But Luke Skywalker, Mark Hamill, who I adore, has this goofy look on his face where his eyes are really wide and he's nodding and like encouraging Ray, like, yeah, go ahead, bury it. Go ahead. Yeah, say your name's Skywalker. Go ahead. And it's just every time I see it, I think of Happy Gilmore. Every time I see Happy Gilmore, I think of the ending of Return of the Jedi. But for some reason, when I see the end of Skywalker, I think of Happy Gilmore. It's a problem. Pro, relating to that scene, I love Ray's new lightsaber. I don't know what color it is because I'm very colorblind and it, you can't tell against that desert backdrop. Um, but more importantly, I love the idea of putting the Skywalker legacy to rest at the Lars Homestead in Tatooine next to Shmi Skywalker and base, and really where we started this whole journey with Luke Skywalker back in 1977. I think it's poetic. Con, the fact that she calls herself Ray Skywalker. The problem is that the, the title of this movie is called The Rise of Skywalker, which means that Skywalker has to rise somehow. Call it the fall of Skywalker or the, the I don't know, like just don't call it the rise of Skywalker and that way Rey can just be Rey because she doesn't have to be Skywalker. You know, I, I mean, I'll admit to the fact that like, you know, we all know that Anakin Skywalker was created by Palpatine. Uh, Shmi, I don't know why Shmi Skywalker was chosen to be the mom, but it's all sort of feels like accidental happenstance. Like, if, if Shmi Skywalker just had Anakin Skywalker and the dad, like, died before he was born, like, Anakin Skywalker is just a nobody-nothing kid in a terrible corner of the galaxy where nothing ever happened. Like, like the, the parallels between him and Rey make sense. Like, if Rey's going to carry on the legacy of the Jedi and the Skywalker bloodline in a certain way, shape, or form because she's helped you know, do what the Skywalkers are supposed to do, it makes sense that, you know, she is sort of like Anakin Skywalker. So it, it rhymes, and Lucas famously says, you know, oh, it's like poetry, you know, it's supposed to rhyme. Uh, so, like, it's kind of like a pro-ish con. It's like, it's a con because I think it's a bad idea, but the side effect of that is a pro. Weird, huh? Pro! Speaking of pros, finally getting to see Leia as a Jedi with a lightsaber. It might be CGI... It might be a blink in your moment, miss it, but I love to see it. Con, because Carrie Fisher's not here, I feel like they had to, you know, insert the reason that Leia quit being a Jedi. Like I, the it's it's not so much the reason she quit. Like I I understand if she had this vision of her son, like whatever, but I feel like if Carrie Fisher was still alive at the time, then she could have given us like a performance that told us that, as opposed to Mark Hamill saying it in a voiceover. And it's not really their fault, but it is what it is. When you do have to deal with those circumstances, I think there are more intelligent ways you can deal with it. Um, pro, Leia sacrificing everything that she has left of her life force to use the force to project the uh, the memory of Han Solo into Ben Solo's mind, as you know, to, to push him back to the light side of the Force. I'm pretty sure that's what happens. Um, I think is an amazing thing. Like I think it's it's poignant. I think it's uh, interesting. I think that it's a it's an interesting thing because even in, in Episode Seven, Leia says to uh, Han, you know, you're the only one that can, you know make him come back to us and he's like how Luke's a Jedi and Luke couldn't 
get him to come back. No, he says Luke couldn't get him to come back, and she and Leia says Luke's a Jedi. You're his father. Like, obviously, Leia's aware that they have like a connection. Like, the, obviously, fathers and sons should have a connection. But there's a, you know, maybe he grew up looking to Han for Han's approval. I don't know, but like, she knows that's the one thing that's going to push him. Uh, and and on off of that, pro Harrison Ford continues to for just a few minutes care about being Han Solo, and I think he brings it in that scene. Con, there's no need to... And I told you, these were stream of consciousness because I'm thinking about Endor. There was no need to go back to Endor. All it does is make me think of other stuff. And and when you're already relying so heavily on the past, it makes me feel like it's shoehorned in. Con, Poe Dameron amounts to nothing. Pro, Zori Bliss looks pretty fucking cool. I like her little space girl outfit. Con, Finn, the stuff with him being Force-sensitive just feels, pardon the pun, forced. It's clear that that's what J.J. Abrams wanted to set up in Episode 7, but since we went so far away from it, it feels forced. Because in this screenplay, we're dealing with two sides to the Finn coin. One side is this, like, Force-sensitive dude who's friends with Rey. The other is, like, the storm, the first stormtrooper that revolted, like, the one. He's like the one. He's like the, um, you know, the, the, uh, the person that started the revolution. Like, people, people whisper of... Uh, Oh God, what's his fucking stormtrooper name? Oh, what's his stormtrooper name? TK, no. FN2187. You know, people, you know, stormtroopers sit around and tell stories of FN2187. You know, like, oh, he's the one that got away. He's the boy who lived, if you will. Like, do go that direction. Because you can't just do what you want to do now that you have control again. And it just doesn't work. The screenplay wants to play both sides and you just need to pick one. And you need to pick the one that was in 8. So just go with the military one. Uh, Let's see. My last pro. Whether or not you think the idea of force healing or force life sucking. And let me explain. You know, we see Rey give her life force to that giant snake to heal his wound. We see Ben Solo give all of his life's energy to Rey to resurrect her from death. Whether or not you think that's a good thing or a bad thing is a moot point because it's a thing that happens. However, as a beautiful side effect, that makes me believe that there's hope for my Star Wars Episode Three fan theory. So it's kind of a retcon pro because I have a fan theory that the reason that Padme dies so easily in childbirth is because when Darth Sidious finds Darth Vader on Mustafar with only one arm that's robotic and he's all burned to shit, Darth Sidious, if you'll notice, puts his hand on Darth Vader's head and like starts to sort of meditate as the camera pans out. And then we cut to uh, Padme like having complications in childbirth. I don't know if this is official or just a fan theory of mine, but I always kind of got the impression that Palpatine was taking Padme's life force and putting it into Anakin so Anakin's you know, body could stay alive so he could still have the Darth Vader apprentice, the chosen one as his apprentice. And he was like, holy shit, if I keep this kid alive, not only will I have all of his power at my side, but he'll be in this gimp suit and he won't be able to kill me. And I... That makes episode three better, so I'm going to allow it. Last but certainly not least, Khan. Dio. I do not like Dio. I guess there's one more Khan at this point that just popped into my head. I feel like I've probably forgotten a lot of other cons, but there's only so much time in the day. 
And this is why we're only doing five movies an episode, folks. I think I've gone a half hour on The Rise of Skywalker. It's more than it deserves. But like I said, look, uh, this is my final word. I rewatched Rise of Skywalker a couple months ago. And all the stuff that I've pointed out is warranted. Hell, there's problems with all the Star Wars movie. All the points are warranted. But at the end of the day, it's still Star Wars. And I've gotten past a lot of this stuff. You know, the first time you see it, you're like, this is what they did. This is what they came up with. It's a lot easier to watch it when you know. It's easily the worst. But still Star Wars... And I still, in its own way, kind of love it. There. I said it. That makes it real, right? No, it's okay. I couldn't watch it, like, right now, because I just am fired up about it. But in a couple months, maybe a year, I could watch it again when I'm not fired up about it and be, okay, that's cool. Whatever. Number 14. The Book of Boba Fett. All right, so a Disney Plus live-action television series makes its first appearance. And remember, all Star Wars live-action is good. So if you love the Book of Boba Fett and it's number 14, I'm sorry. But there is a lot to like about the Book of Boba Fett. There's a lot to... I don't even want to use the phrase dislike. You see, what's interesting here is that now that we're past the rise of Skywalker, I I, I don't think the cons are going to sh- stab nearly as painfully. At least, you know, as I was writing these up, they didn't hurt as much as the rise of Skywalker ones do. So there's a big, big, wide gap between 15 and 14. So let's start with the compliment sandwich. Pro, Tamara Morrison as Boba Fett. Oh, man. Is Tamara Morrison constantly high on painkillers. Well, I don't, I'm not trying to dis- disparage the man's reputation. I'm not. But Tamar Morrison has an insanely infectious energy. He seems like the happiest dude in the galaxy, like in the real world. And I like seeing him back as Boba Fett. Uh, I think he plays the character well. He strikes a great balance between, uh, you know, badass, normal person, and humorous person. Who hasn't said in their daily life, you know, like a panta, and done the little like a panta dance? I'm doing it right now. Can you hear the squeaks of my seat? Like a panta. But what I like the most about his performance is that as he ascends in a Tony Soprano-esque fashion, he does still honestly just feel like a simple man trying to make his way in the universe, as his father famously once did. Uh, Plus... You know, going along with this pro, this wasn't big enough for its own thing. But seeing Boba Fett emerge from the uh, pit of Sarlacc, I mean, that's what real nerdy people have been dreaming about for years. Sure, it only takes him like 30 seconds and probably didn't live up to the nerd's decades worth of expectations, but that's fine. Speaking of low expectations, first con... The show feels like it has very low Star Wars-related stakes, and that's... That's okay. Like, it really is. Um, but even... It's interesting. Book of Boba Fett and a Star Wars story film that we'll talk about later uh, feel very similar in a sense that they have very low stakes in the grand scheme of Star Wars. However, the theatrical release that we'll talk about in the future has higher 
low stakes to the Star Wars Star Wars saga. This has the lowest of stakes, but that's okay. Like it really is. It's fine. Pro Ming Na Wen as Fennec Shand. Now, I'm not necessarily like in love with Fennec Shand as a character, but the character's totally fine. She, of course, is uh, you know, Boba Fett's number one. Uh, number one, set a course for Tatooine. We're going to try to take over the Hutt estate. Oh, it's going to be so much fun. Yes, Patrick Stewart has taken over the role of Boba Fett. Um, Fennec, number one, please come over here. There's something wrong with the computer. I've constantly been talking to the ship, and I'm saying, Computer, play some Mozart, or maybe some Chopin. And the computer won't play my music, Fennec Shand. Do something to fix the computer, number one. I'm counting on you. Number one, you're going to get a demotion if you don't fix it. I'm telling you this right now because I want to be honest and upfront with you. Don't forget, you're up for Starfleet Review at the end of the the quarter. (laughs) All right, I don't know what started that, but regardless, Fennec Shand is a good, like, okay, maybe I should preface this. We all know now that the Dave Filoni Star Wars Universe movie is coming. I've been internally referring to it as the Star Wars Avengers Assemble movie because all of the TV characters are going to assemble like the goddamn Avengers. And Ming-Na Wen's Fennec Shand is a great Hawkeye-level character for the Star Wars Assemble movie. She's been on lots of adventures with our main heroes, and she's kind of a Hawkeye-level. I don't really know what else to compare it. Plus, I like Ming-Na Wen as a person. Like... She's Mulan. God help me, she's Chun-Li. She's in a ton of other things, too, that just aren't springing in my mind because I didn't write down a bunch of notes. And you know when you podcast, when you're not going from notes, at least in my head, I sort of go into a fugue state and do Patrick Stewart impressions. So I can't really remember Ming-Na Wen movies off the top of my head. Uh, but, but I like her. She's a calming presence. She's a fun presence. Con. Do bounty hunters dream of electric Tuscans? Yes, that's a do androids dream of electric sheep reference. Uh, but the con here really is that uh, the framing device of Boba Fett taking a back-to-tank nap and dreaming of his time with the Tusken Raiders gets a little tiresome, not because the story isn't interesting, but sometimes you really want to be in the present with Boba Fett. You, you want to see him in the armor. You want, to, you want to watch him, you know, thrive on Tatooine as the daimyo of Mos Espa. You know, you kind of get caught up in the narrative of the now, and then suddenly he's dreaming of his time with the Tusken Raiders. Pro, however, the Tusken Raiders storyline is very poignant. There's a lot of great parallels between, um, you know, our world And, you know, good science fiction is supposed to talk about the real world. So I appreciate that. There's some colonialism in here. There's some uh, capitalism as a nasty thing sort of thing here. Uh, I like that. I like the time he spends with the Tusken Raiders. I like the crazy spice lizard trip that he has. Uh, Which leads me to the next con. In that tripping balls sequence, Boba Fett goes and finds, like, the the tree limb that will become his um, Tusken Raider Banta stick. No, Banta's the fucking thing they ride. What are the ga- Gaffy stick? It, do- it doesn't matter. None of this matters. But he finds the, the branch that will become his fighting stick, okay? 
And this is more than ever when the show really starts to feel like it's derived right from the set of The Mandalorian, for Christ's sakes. They even have a Tusken Raiders armor? She doesn't speak with a sweet English accent, though. She's not like, Boba Fett. Now, yes, I will take this branch and forge it into a weapon for your foundling. Your foundling is your foundling by creed, Boba Fett. This is the way. Er, Amara, you sound like you could be my girlfriend because I'm English and you're English too. Would you like to join Starfleet, Amara? This is not the way. Er, but it could be the way. could be the way to my penis, Amara. Play your cards right. Computer, play some sexy music so I can dance with the Amara. Oh, yeah. We're getting down. This is some 20th century music, Amara. It's called Sabotage from the Beastie Boys. Actually, computer, play No Sleep Till Brooklyn. That will really get the Amara's juices flowing. Anywho, uh, it's just kind of derived from the Mandalorian. Pro, Danny Trejo is here. Machete in space, anyone? Or, excuse me, machete in space, anyone? I'm here for it. Con. Early on, Boba Fett gets some Gamoran guards, you know, the pig guys, to work in his crime family, and that's totally fine. However, uh, the costuming budget wasn't really allocated towards the Gamoran guards, and so they look less like intimidating pig beasts and more like that uh, scene from SNL when Chris Farley auditions for the Chippendales, and he does a fantastic job! Auditioning for the Chippendales. Even Patrick Swayze was like, wow, man, you should really get the role. So I'm not body shaming here. But it just doesn't really work from a Star Wars. Like, Star Wars should have a little more here. Okay? And just as a con to go along with this thing, uh, somebody needs to turn down the volume. What I mean by that is a lot of Star Wars TV is filmed inside the volume. Disney's insane, crazy sound studio with the giant screens. And most of the time, it looks great. But there are definitely some scenes in the book of Boba Fett. I'm looking at you who are riding speeder bikes in the desert that really just don't hold up to Star Wars quality. Pro, the score. I love the music for the Disney Plus Star Wars shows. Composing music that works with Star Wars when not using the, like, string orchestra John Williams type style is difficult to do I'm looking at you Rogue One a Star Wars story but the Mandalorian the book of Boba Fett and or Obi-Wan even but Obi-Wan relies on the typical John Williams type music a little bit more which is totally fine but Andor, book of Boba Fett and the Mandalorian have really found their own sound and that's awesome I didn't think that was possible but they proved me wrong and I appreciate it Khan Ladies and gentlemen, introducing the Mod Squad! Now, I got nothing against the teenage mods who are up to no good at the fucking soda shop with Betty and Veronica. Like, I really don't. However, the chase scene between the mods and the Twi'lek guy who works for the mayor is embarrassing. And I'm going to leave it at that. Pro! Hey! You know, we just talked about Dave Filoni's Avengers Assemble's team-up movie. Well, here in the Book of Boba Fett, we get a preview of what it's going to feel like when the Avengers Assemble. When lots of our favorite characters from across the Star Wars franchise of television-based entertainment appear to fight the final battle. And I appreciate that. But ladies and gentlemen, following up a lovely pro with the biggest of cons... 
the Mandalorian Returns episode. Now, as an episode of television, it's pretty good, okay? I'm not going to lie. Like, all your favorites are here. It's Rosario Dawson. It's Mark Hamill's creepy CGI double. It's Grogu. We're all here. But where's Boba Fett? You know, it's it's sort of insulting to the television program at itself. It's like... If there was an, if, like, take a look at, like, prestige television. You know, this is a crime saga, kind of. Let's say you're watching The Sopranos, all right? And it you tune into the episode, and it'd be one thing if the episode was an entire hour you spend with, like, Dr. Melfi. Because she's an important Sopranos character, and she's a point-of-view character we don't usually get. And she's separate from the crime stuff, so you kind of spend some time in the world of The Sopranos. However... The Mandalorian has his own TV show. So this would be like if you got an entire Sopranos episode starring Larry David, which could be amazing, probably would be amazing now that I'm thinking about it, but, but, ultimately it sticks out like a sore thumb in The Sopranos. And so it's kind of a slap in the face to the Book of Boba Fett narrative. It's like we don't even have a fucking enough story to tell, so we're just going to do an entire Mandalorian episode. And that's sort of the final nail in the coffin as to why it ranks at number 14. Combining the fact that it insults the Book of Boba Fett by turning into the Mandalorian and that it doesn't really have a big story to tell in terms of, like, Star Wars... That's what ranks at number 14. But it's good stuff overall. It's solid. You know, I know a lot of people don't even probably like the Book of Boba Fett as much as I do. But like I said, man, you give me Star Wars, and I'm I'm willing to go with it for a lot of things. And there's nothing here in the Book of Boba Fett that makes me, like, drop and, like, you know, shit a solid gold brick of anger. It did nothing. Nothing at all. But there's nothing here that makes me jump for the high heavens and be like, Star Wars is back, bitch. Uh, And so that's sort of where the Book of Boba Fett lays. It's completely non-offensive as Star Wars to me, but it's completely just there also. I don't really know any other way to put it. And so that's why Book of Boba Fett chimes in or lands in the spot of number 14. Number 13. This is when the internet starts to shit on me. Star Wars, Episode 6, Return of the Jedi. Okay, now put your hate tweets down, alright? Remember, aside from the very last entry on the list, there is no overwhelmingly bad... Bad is uh, not the... No Star Wars movie is without its merits. So if you like love Return of the Jedi, I totally get it. I grew up on this movie too. You know, when I was a youngster, this was actually my favorite of all the Star Wars movies. So it's okay to like a movie. That's totally fine. So let's pro and con this thing. Pro, I like that it starts with Vader and introduces, yes, this is nerdy, the Lambda-class shuttle. Those shuttles rule. I had one of those shuttles. I think they're awesome. Uh... Con right away after the sweet Vader landing on the Death Star 2 scene. Death Star 2. Are you sure? Alright, fine. We'll go with the second Death Star. I've actually never thought of this until I was proing and conning these things. Is Episode 6 a template for Episode 9? In a sense. 
Are we going back to the Death Star as a course correction? While no one, no one will deny the overwhelming critical praise for The Empire Strikes Back. You know, Empire was a little a little less happy than episode four. It was a little less fairy tale a little less straightforward. Uh, we'll talk about that when it comes up on the list organically, but I'm wondering if this is a minor, finger quotes, course correction from Empire, the same way Nine was a course correction from Last Jedi. Let's go back to what we're comfortable with. Let's get the gang back together, etc., etc. I don't really think that it is apples-to-apples comparison, but, you know, it's warranted to talk about. Next pro... Uh, Luke Skywalker introduced wearing all black, force choking a Gamoran guard. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. But my, how we've changed, little farm boy Luke Skywalker. Con. This is the end. Star Wars Episode Six: Return of the Jedi has a very unique caveat to it. It has, at multiple times throughout its existence, been the final Star Wars film. To, that has different meanings to what the final Star Wars film is. At first, it was the third and final Star Wars film. Then it was the sixth and final Star Wars film. And then they made Star Wars Episode Seven. And folks, this film has never felt like the ending to either a trilogy of Star Wars films or a sixth series of Star Wars films, in my opinion. Like, it never addresses everything that it needs to. And I'm sure someone could be like, well, it pretty much does. And you know, it might. But it could have been a lot tighter. And we're in Jabba's palace for way too long. I think I think most people would admit to that, right? Now, I'm not saying the Jabba sequence is bad. It's not. It's There are going to be some pros coming out of it. I'm just saying it eats up a lot of our screen time. And I feel like if this was truly episode six, like made in order, which is something we'll get into with other episodes, and a little bit in this one, I think, but if this was made in order, we would never spend this much time at Jabba's Palace. Hell, we might not even go to Jabba's Palace to rescue Han. Maybe he'd never get... But that's irrelevant. The way it exists, we spend too much time. Pro, though, that sail barge fight is really fucking cool, and I love it. Con... While I am an ardent supporter of the Star Wars Original Trilogy Special Editions, even I sort of wonder, do we need the Jedi Rock song? Like, what was wrong with the lady with all the boobs dancing to... Like the Sice Noodles lady when she was just a puppet. I was okay with that. I don't know if we need Jedi Rocks. Uh, Leaving Tatooine. Pros. The death of Yoda. Good scene. Well-written scene. Emotional scene. I like it quite a bit. Con. From that scene. When Yoda says there is another Skywalker. I have zero problems with it. However... Imagine, looking at this just as the trilogy, this is sort of episode, this is sort of uh, episode 9 level of execution. This is not nearly as offensive as somehow Palpatine has returned. I know Yoda sets it up in episode 5 when he says there is another, okay? But something this big is revealed way too late, okay? We're way too late in the game for it to matter, 
And the rest of the movie deals with it, but it even deals with it in very small ways. I will admit, you know, at the end, if you won't turn, perhaps your sister will. Like, that's pretty big. But it just feels really shoehorned in in its execution, okay? If this was truly made in order, episode 6, I doubt we would have waited this long for them to figure it out, but that's whatever. Pro, seeing the Darth Vader and Darth Sidious characters back together again is quite a joy. I love their power dynamics. I love Darth Sidious, like, being a bitch to Darth Vader all the time. Uh, I just, it's fun. And it's probably accentuated by years of things like Robot Chicken having Emperor Palpatine be a real dick to Darth Vader. But I, I like him here. I like the Emperor and Darth Vader together as a team. I think it's very interesting to watch. I think it's entertaining. I think it's uh, it's cool. Uh, no other way to phrase it. Con. Con. And I want to preface this. This con is not very heavily weighted. I got zero problem with them. Episode 6 is not ranked this low because of these creatures. That's childish and silly. But the next con, we do spend a little too much time befriending the Ewoks. Now, if we spent less time in Jabba's palace, this amount of time spent befriending the Ewoks would be okay. But we spend a little too much time. Pro, though, and this is one of the reasons why disliking Ewoks would be silly... I mean, if you dislike it, you dislike it. I can't do anything about that. But, it, and again, we've talked about George Lucas saying, you know, Star Wars series, it's, it's, uh, it's, like, it's like music. It's like poetry. It rhymes. Well, the Ewoks rhyme very well with the Gungans from Episode 1. And if the Star Wars series stayed at 1 through 6, pretty cool that the first episode opens with a lower technologically advanced defeating a higher... Or lower technological lower technological advanced race of creatures defeating a higher level advanced technology creature. You get what I'm saying, okay? Ewoks versus, or God, Gungas versus battle droids rhymes with Ewoks versus Imperial soldiers. You see what I'm saying here? It's poetry. It rhymes. You know, in episode one we have, uh, you know, and uh, Sabulba, and in episode six we have uh, the Rancor. And they both have legs and arms, and they—they're both—they're both terrifying and lovable at the same time. Sabalba, and the Rancor, but it rhymes. Pro, I do like that speeder bike chase how they do on Endor, specifically the shot where uh, Leia and Luke are being uh, chased by the Imperial scout troopers, and we zoom out and see two scout troopers like doing a speed check, like yep, they're speeding, and they pull out to chase them. That cracks me up every time. Pro, speaking of cracking me up, Han Solo, like, I know Harrison Ford checked out of giving a shit about being Han Solo, but Han Solo is having himself a Saturday here during the Battle of Endor. He's having a great time. There's all sorts of buffoonery and, like, masquerading as a trooper. Like, I just, Han Solo rules in the final Battle on Endor. He's great. Another pro, speaking of leading a battle, Lando Calrissian leading the space battle is fucking awesome. For a long time, this was my favorite space battle in all of Star Wars. The assault on the Death Star 2 is awesome. Plus, it gives us the iconic, It's a trap! Pro. When Luke turns himself into Vader on Endor, they have a really Star Warsian chat. And it's very necessary after the cliffhanger of Episode 5. Like, they're finally together, and they do address what needs to be addressed. It's well done. Another pro, their fight in the Death Star 2, pretty nice. 
not just an execution of stunt coordination, it's a vast improvement to episode four, but it, it, it's emotional. You know, it's a very emotional thing. It's well done. Con. Con. And this is a general reflection on Return of the Jedi. Since the films are made out of order, I don't necessarily think we get an appropriate level of payoff to every emotional beat that's been set up across films one through five. That's not this movie's fault. It can't be this movie's fault because those emotional beats didn't exist when uh, episode six first came out. But in retrospect, it dings it. Okay? For this list, it dings it. Pro, this is where you turn off the podcast probably, I'm a huge fan of one of the more recent changes to this film. Uh, specifically when Darth Sidious is electrocuting the shit out of Luke Skywalker. I like when Darth Vader goes, No. No! Like, I like that quite a bit because I can feel... Like, I can see his face under the mask. It, it works for me. I'm sorry. If it doesn't work for you, I get it. I do. It works with, it works without, in my opinion. But I like it. I like it. Sue me. No, don't sue me, actually. Uh, Khan. The badass ending of Anakin Skywalker killing the Emperor is completely undermined by the existence of Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker. Pro. I get the chills every time they blow up the Death Star 2. Every time. Wedge. All right, Gold Leader. I'm already on my way out. They blow the superstructure. For the fi- the flames behind the Millennium Falcon. Are they going to make it? Bum, bum, bum. Da, 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 da. Yeehaw! Yum, yum, yum. Poof. Explosion. Like, it works for me every fucking time. Deal with that. Pro. Pro. I love the added celebration. I like the musical change. Like, nope, nope. Like the original Ewok song, I get it. But that doesn't work for conclusion to all six films. I'm not saying that this new ending where they go to Tatooine, uh, Naboo, after episode after they've added Naboo again, they go to Naboo, Tatooine, Bespin, and then Coruscant. Thank God we get Coruscant in one of the original trilogy films because that's such a disconnect. The fact that we never go back to Coruscant after Episode 3 is a huge problem. I would even be in favor of... Oh, God, I can't believe I'm about to say this. Because Star Wars Episode 4 is sort of a holy text. I would almost be in favor of going back to Coruscant and seeing, like, Darth Sidious or Emperor Palpatine, like, dissolve the Senate in person. But that's neither here nor there. Whatever. It's fine. But I love the celebration on different planets, and I like the new theme that plays with the Ewok celebration. I like that Hayden Christensen has replaced the old guy as Anakin Skywalker. Look, we can argue back and forth about what it means, but let's, you know, Anakin Skywalker died when he became Darth Vader, and that's why his Force image is when he was the same age as he is in Revenge of the Sith. And you could argue about the inconsistency that that presents, but, you know, we could argue about all sorts of Force ghost inconsistencies, so I don't want to hear it. If you're willing to go with the one from episode one, then you should be willing to go with this. And it creates 
a more cohesive feeling to the conclusion of the original one through six Star Wars saga, so I see it as a pro. Con, last con, and this is what puts it all the way down here on the list. Any way you slice it, as an ending to Star Wars episodes one through six, which is what this was, let's not kid ourselves, it, it's just not good enough. I'm sorry. It's not good enough. Well, moving along on the list, we've got two episodes left to discuss here on the opening episode of Galaxy Man. Number 12, Star Wars, Episode 2, Latique de Clon, which is the French title, which I'm a huge fan of, but it's Attack of the Clones. Pro, and this is a gag. I love this movie for existing because what I'm not like a massive fan of the movie super bad, but I've seen it enough times and I laugh. This creates one of my favorite gags in like movie history from Super Bad when the cops have McLovin in the back seat and they do Yoda impression, and Seth Rogen's like, or Bill Hader's like, you know Yoda from uh, Attack of the Clones. Do you know Yoda? I just love the fact that they say Yoda is from the movie Attack of the Clones. <laughs> you know, it just it makes me laugh. All right, here we go though. Pro. First film in history to be completely shot on digital. That is a massive benchmark for the filmmaking industry. Con, the first film shot on digital, which creates a trend that later in life becomes annoying and alarming. I'm looking at you, Marvel. I'm looking at you, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumate. I mean, no, look, it, it's... I, I, I kind of jokingly listed it as a pro and a con. I do think it's a pro because it changes filmmaking forever, but sometimes all changes aren't good. Sometimes we've become too reliant on the fact that since we shoot everything on digital, we can just fix it in post or we can whatever. And, 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 I, and that's been going on for forever. That's not a new thing, but sometimes it forces filmmakers to be a little lazier in the shooting process. Pro. I enjoy the dynamic between Anakin Skywalker and Obi-Wan Kenobi. It's not quite father-son. It's kind of brother-brother, although it's more brother-brother in Episode 3. But I like that it's in-between. And it feels comfortable being somewhere in-between. Con. I feel like this is where we really start to see the cracks with George Lucas as a writer of film-based dialogue. But... I do think there's a minor lawyer defense for that, which I'll get to at the very end. Pro. The Phantom Menace continues to run rampant in the Senate. I find Star Wars politics extremely interesting. And I know most people hate the hate that the prequel trilogy deals so much in politics. I could use a little more, to be honest with you. I like the historical parallels here, specifically involving Supreme Chancellor Palpatine and... Uh, the act that we'll talk about in just a few seconds here. Con. You know, for a movie that travels to a lot of exotic locations and has a large cast of characters and a very active war-based plot dynamic, not a lot of things happen for a long portion of this movie. I'm looking at you, post-assassination attempt, pre-Battle of Geonosis. I mean, a lot happens. But in very short bursts. And while I find it interesting, 
upon a recent rewatch, like originally, this is number 12 on my list. I had this at number 11. But I recently rewatched Attack of the Clones and I moved and I flip flopped 11 and 12. And it's honestly because of not a lot happening. We get a lot of shots of ships landing and taking off, which is a Star Wars staple. We get a lot of shots of people walking to new locations and talking, and that's fine. But we don't get a lot of stuff happening. Pro, we get some great examples of Jedi laziness and Jedi uh, know it allism. The librarian. We get some of the, you know, if Kamido's not in the system, it doesn't exist. You know, we get a lot of Jedi's walking around thinking their shit don't stink, which becomes a massive plot point as the series continues. Not that they're being dicks, but that they're being complacent. And you kind of have to dig to see it, but you do see it. Uh, minor pro, uh, when Obi-Wan is going to talk to Yoda and the younglings to find Kamino, a, a Jedi Master walks past him that kind of looks like a fully aged and adult-sized Howard the Duck Jedi, and I'm here for that. Khan. The Jar Jar Binks character is pretty much dismissed to afterthought status. Now, while I certainly understand if Jar Jar doesn't work for you, this is not a con. However, you cannot deny that Jar Jar Binks as a character was an important part of this new trilogy's narrative up until this point. And sort of giving in to audience complaints... I see it one of two ways. Obviously, no one creates something to have it be hated upon. You know, I don't create pot, and I'm not comparing creating this little podcast to Star Wars, but I don't do this hoping somebody hates it. I really don't. And if someone were to message me and say, hey, you know, less, you know, well, if a large amount of people were consistently emailing me with the same level of feedback, I'd probably make the change. You know, it was like uh, less introduction. You should start talking about your topic within 30 seconds. If everybody, you know, I would probably make that change. So I get why Lucas made the Jar Jar change. But if he really wanted Jar Jar to be a bigger part of it, it's a bummer to me that as an artist he, he had to acquiesce to this. So I see it as a con. Pro, Jar Jar Binks being the character that is manipulated to give Supreme Chancellor Palpatine the uh, emergency powers is a stroke of genius. Because not only does it work from a meta standpoint, because the audience is like, oh, of course, Jar Jar, oh, Jar Jar, I knew I hated you for a reason. But within the narrative of the film, Jar Jar is the innocent. Jar, well, Jar Jar is, there's this great episode one trailer where it's like, the weak, the innocent. Like, Jar Jar as a character is completely oblivious and innocent of galactic consequences. He was thrust into a situation and dealt with it the best he could, which granted wasn't very good, but now he's in an even bigger situation, with bigger stakes, and he's still easily manipulated and controlled and fooled, and, and still doesn't get the how the galaxy works. And as a character trait, it's consistent, and I think it works well. But if you just think it's cool because you hate Jar Jar, it also works too. Great. Con. Aside from being the first film shot on digital, did you know that this film invented digital stunt doubles? Now, it's not really a con because that means what a digital stunt double is. It's like when uh, like when Jango Fett's flying and Obi-Wan's like getting like 
uh, dragged on his little string. Like, that's a fully digital, like, Django Fett and Obi-Wan, which means a stunt person doesn't have to put themselves at risk. But, given we've been inundated with CGI battles with a laser shooting in the sky for a couple decades now, I think we can sort of see the detriment of that. Like, it's kind of a bummer that Robert Downey Jr. never wore the Iron Man suit. I mean, he did, but never really. Like, I don't know. Maybe it's a silly one, but I thought about pointing it out. Pro. I really, truly enjoy the Count Dooku character and the mythology of the Separatist faction. I think it's interesting. And I think it makes the Star Wars galaxy feel even bigger than it ever has before. And it feels like there's stakes. I love that the Separatist is also made up of completely non-humanoid races. Because if you know what's going to happen, it's a great way for Darth Sidious to consolidate the power base and have them easily wiped out so humanoids can be in control. Because he's kind of a racist, if you didn't know that. A speciest. Um... You know, and I love this, like the Trade Federation, the Techno Union, the Banking Clan. It's like all these different arms of commerce, capitalism. It's just, it's fascinating. It's like all the corporations want to control themselves, but all the people, you know, want the corporations to be more regulated and controlled and kept from running amok. It's interesting to me. Con, the entire concept of Master Sifo-Dyas is just confusing. I mean, it's not confusing. I get it. But I also have read, like, Wikipedia articles where it's explained. Like, no, just make it simpler. It should have just been Count Dooku. Count Dooku should have just left the Jedi Order and, you know. Or even instead of sifo just say Jedi Master Tyrannus ordered the clone army. And they're going to be like, there's no Jedi Master named Tyrannus. And then at the end, when Lord Sidious is like, welcome home, Lord Tyrannus. Um... It, it, it would it would just be like oh Tyrannus yes yes I get it I'm I'm smart uh Khan I'm completely adding in here the fact that Count Dooku is only called Lord Tyrannus once and not even Darth Tyrannus is is a bummer because Darth Tyrannus is a badass Sith title in my opinion pro switching back to Anakin Skywalker when Anakin and Padme are on Tatooine and Anakin goes to find his mom and gets on the speeder. We hearken back to a musical cue from episode one, a song that most Star Wars fans know called Duel of the Fates. And I love, and I love the shot of him on the speaker bike, like riding it with the sun set behind, sun's setting behind him, like pursuing as Duel of the Fates is playing. It only plays briefly, but if you're familiar with the concept of the Duel of the Fates song, this is such an awesome moment because it means a it's telling the audience that another duel of the fates is about to happen. Now, what does that mean? Well, the musical piece Duel of the Fates, according to John Williams, was composed to be played at a pivotal moment in episode one. I think we all know when it is, and you know, someday we'll talk about it. Um But if the battle at the end of Star Wars Episode One had gone one way or another, the duel of the fates is the, the the fate within the duel of the fates is the fate of the Anakin Skywalker character. If Darth Maul wins that fight, Anakin Skywalker's life is completely going to go a different way. If Qui Gon survives that fight, Anakin Skywalker's life is going to go a completely different way. So this duel decides the fates, and I like that. The duel of the fates that Anakin is having in Episode Two is the is is the fate of his mother. 
what you know he's we all know he's going to the Tuscan Raiders camp to find his mom and it's a duel of the fates if things go okay and he rescues Shmi fate will go one way but if things don't go well fate's gonna go another way so literally he's driving to the most important duel of the fates and I love because they you know they use the music one other time in episode three and that too is a duel of the fates and we'll talk about that when we talk about episode three Khan Oh, the Shmi Skywalker death scene is a bad acting from Miss Shmi Skywalker. I love, and it just falls over her mouth. Hey, okay, it's is bad. Her death scene is some bad acting. Pro, it's immediately rectified by Anakin Skywalker going in Blitzkrieg mode and you know slaughtering the Tusken Raiders. Obviously, the slaughtering of innocent people is not appropriate, but. In the context of this film, it's movement towards the dark side turn, and I like it. Plus, you get the Qui-Gon voice. Anakin! Anakin! It just works. It works for me. Khan, moving towards Geonosis, the entire sequence in the droid factory, I just can't... Like, I've seen so much behind-the-scenes footage of how they shot this thing, and it's just poor Natalie Portman jumping in front of a bunch of blue boxes. The droid factory scene just doesn't work for me. Pro... A scene on Geonosis that does work for me is Count Dooku talking politics with Obi-Wan, where we learn the lineage of Padawans. Yoda to Dooku, Dooku to Qui-Gon, Qui-Gon to Obi, Obi to Anakin. It's just interesting. And I love that we don't even know which side Count Dooku is playing. Count Dooku's cool. Pro, the arena battle at the end. Once the arena battle starts attacking the clones, everything else is cream cheese. Like, we're good. Uh, The third act's tremendous. Uh, I love when the Jedi show up to rescue our heroes. And Mace Windu has the boss line, this party's over. Jango Fett's death is a pro. It's well done. Khan, if you rewatch this battle, a lot of the digital Jedi extras are kind of just standing around twirling their lightsabers, not actually doing anything. Hope I didn't ruin it for you. And this is neither a pro or a con, but does anybody else remember the massive in-sync in Attack of the Clones scandal? The big rumor that during the battle at the end with all the Jedi that the five members of InSync would be inserted at various points throughout the battle as active Jedi combatants? Would it really have mattered? I don't know. I liked InSync, but I'm kind of glad they're not there. It would have been a little distracting. It would have dated the film, let's put it that way. And Star Wars is supposed to feel timeless. Pro, the final lightsaber battle sequence between Anakin, Anakin, Anakin and Dooku is tremendous. Uh, you know, Christopher Lee can only do so much. And yes, I know he had a fight double. But I love the scenes of their faces with the contrasting saber colors. It works for me. A pro that some might find a con. I like Yoda versus Dooku. It's fine. We got... Don't act like you didn't pop for it in theaters, alright? Just don't. Pro? Of course, Star Wars films always end with a musical montage or just a music-only scene of some sorts. I think the ending of Attack of the Clones is one of its strongest. You know, we get begun. The Clone War has Imperial March. Look at the troops. Look at the troops. Oh, my goodness. Darth Sidious is Palpatine, and he's standing over them. Now they look like Nazis. Watching troops get on ships. Bum, 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 bum. And now look, obviously Nazis are a terrible thing, but there's a real sense of dread to that clone army amassing. Because even though they're good guys right now, they sure do look like stormtroopers, huh? Pro, 
I like the uh, the love theme across the stars. And this is our final two for Attack of the Clones. So I told you we'd talk about George Lucas as a dialogue writer at the end, and now we're going to pay that beat off. So, pro. George Lucas writes the Anakin Skywalker character as a man, the age of 19, that stopped his emotional growth at the age of 10. And to me, that's fascinating. Because once he became indoctrinated with the ways of the Jedi at age 10, they pretty much forced him or told him to stop growing emotionally. No one is fully mature emotionally at the age of 10. I often doubt if I'm still emotionally mature here at the age of 40. Okay? But, and let's not kid ourselves, the Jedi are indoctrinating him with this worldview. And he's trying to adapt to it. So, I kind of like that in a sense that every time I watch Anakin in Attack of the Clones, I sort of think of him as a 10-year-old boy trapped in this man's body with man-sized problems. And I think that's interesting. But as a con, it I feel like it often results in people hating on the performance. Now, I get that. I do. But if you haven't rewatched Attack of the Clones in a long time, think about this the next time you do. Oh, you know, Master, I couldn't find a speeder that I liked. But the right color, the right speed, capabilities, like... That's something my son would say to me. I mean, not those words, but, you know, my son would kind of be a little childish about things. He's a little bit, you know, he's like 11. I mean, I'm just saying, like, think about it. Think about it. Oh, and this is just one last little thing I'm throwing in there. I get, I don't like sand. It's coarse, rough, irritating, and it gets everywhere. I get it, but rewatch that scene. Padme is sharing with Anakin one of her fondest memories, rolling around on the beach with her fucking friends on the peaceful, lovely, angelic world of Naboo without a care in the world. Oh, we used to roll around in the sand on the beach and and fucking suntan. It was a really good time. And look at my fucking castle I live in. Blah, blah, blah. Anakin, (laughs) he's, you know, it's not as if he's like taking a stance on sand here, okay? He's adding to the conversation and actually playing off of the conversation. Padme finishes a thought and he's like, you know, oh, she was just talking about rolling around the sand and how much fun it is. He's like, you know, I don't like sand. It's coarse, it's rough, it's irritating. And then he adds, and it gets everywhere. And his inflection on it gets everywhere is an indicator that he's making a lighthearted statement playing off of what she played off of. He's kind of flirting in a way. He's not fucking drawing a line in the sand about his feelings on sand. And plus, he's what think about what he's not saying. If he's trying to flirt with Padme, do you really think he'd be like, uh, I wouldn't roll around the sand if you paid me. I grew up on Tatooine and I was a slave. You remember that? You know how hot it was on Tatooine? You know how thirsty I was on Tatooine, Padme? Fuck you in your sand, rolling around having a good time. I didn't have a good time. That little flying bee used to beat me and rub my face in the sand and make me choke on it. No! He's just going to make it a little lighthearted and flirtatious. Like, get over it. Get over it. And I guess speaking of over, 
This episode is almost over, but we've got one more episode to talk about. So rounding out the five lowest rankings in the Star Wars tier in episode one of Galaxy Man, it's fitting that we discuss number 11, Star Wars, episode one, The Phantom Menace. Yes, this is the one I flip-flop with Attack of the Clones. All right, pro, big one. Last Star Wars film shot on actual film, and it looks beautiful to me. I don't care. Sure, it's aged a little bit, but you can so feel that it's shot on real fucking film. Con. Star Wars Episode One, you say. Well, it sure does feel like you expect your audience knows a lot about what's going on. Because while the movie does explain things eventually... You're really just throwing in here. Like, this movie is episode one, but let's not lie. It really doesn't feel as if it's written as an introduction to the entire Star Wars saga. Like, I get that George Lucas, you know, even gave these things episode titles because they were, you know, like Republic film serials. And I've seen film serials. I've watched the Batman film serials, the Captain Marvel film serials. I get it. Captain Marvel, Episode 2, The Trap of the Guillotine. Previously on Captain Marvel, young Billy Batson, man about town, becomes Captain Marvel when saying Shazam. Like, that's the scroll. But for episode even the episode 1 of those serials really do a lot of setup. And while this movie is a lot of setup, this movie doesn't... Like, you're just thrown right into it. Jedi's trade... For, what's a Jedi? What, and I know the scroll says the Jedi are guardians of peace and prosperity, and there's only so much they can take time to explain. But you'd be kidding yourself if you were to sit down in a vacuum and say, you know what, this truly feels like the first episode. Because it's assuming you kind of know a little bit about Star Wars. Pro, Jar Jar Binks. Con, Jar Jar Binks in 1999. I get it. You hate Jar Jar Binks. I was a little annoyed with Jar Jar Binks. But you know what? I I would never want to watch like The Phantom Edit. A famous, you know, Star Wars Episode 1 like, fan edit. Like, both of my kids watched Star Wars Episode 1 when they were young and loved the shit out of Jar Jar Binks. I get it, man. The idea is a kid... I mean, the main character of this film is a 10-year-old child. Which means you should probably be about, you know, 5 to 10 years old when you're watching this thing for the first time. Like, sure, you don't have to be. And I'm not saying you have to dumb things down for, you know... But at the same time... Jar Jar Binks is a hook for a younger audience, and that's what this is for. Like I said, a 10-year-old's the main character. Who what what kid doesn't want to be Anakin Skywalker and fly across the galaxy and break away from you know their horrible existence and go be a Jedi and swing a laser sword? But in 1999, when we'd been waiting so long, Jar Jar kind of felt like a slap in the face. Pro politics. I love me some Star Wars politics. I love this. Uh, I love the... I would I would love to know more about the Trade Federation. I would love to know about some of the poor choices Supreme Chancellor Valorum has made on a day-in, day basis. There's not enough time, but I love the politics of Star Wars. Uh, a con? I, lo- I, I, I could use a lot more of it. Pro. Ewan McGregor is Obi-Wan Kenobi. Bottom line. Con? I think Liam Neeson was having a hard time being Qui-Gon Jinn. I don't know if he really knew what he was... I mean, Liam Neeson's a great actor. 
I just don't think he was as comfortable as other people were dealing with talking to a tennis ball instead of a flying bat, flying bee that is a slave owner that owns a pod racer. I, like, I just, you know, I, he's... I get that he's a stoic Jedi, but people always talk about Qui-Gon being this, like, fierce rebel, like, against... Like, there's not enough of that here. That's all added in, like, books and comics and shit like that. Sort of a retcon. Pro. I like that we go back to Tatooine and spend a little bit of time with Anakin and, uh, you know, get, getting ready for the pod race. I do, but I see... I see your point. And so the con to that is it does slow the movie down. But the unfortunate side effect of that is it doesn't slow the movie down so we can learn more about the conflict that we've been tracking. It takes us away from the Trade Federation conflict. Sure, we cut back to it for a few seconds here and there. But usually in a movie, we want to slow down to understand the conflict or to understand what happened in Act 1 a little bit more. This just completely pivots to a new focal point. Pro, how cool is Darth Maul? I mean, let's not kid ourselves. Pro, Sepulba. I love Sepulba. I, Chuba 9, McClunky. I like Sepulba, deal with it. Pro, I like the pod race. I do. I'm not a huge fan of the announcer, but that's fine. Con, Mmm, we got some not good kid actors here. Between the kid that plays Kitster and Jake Lloyd, Anakin Skywalker himself, we've, we've got some some bad kid acting. And I'm not shitting on kid actors. The girl that played Princess Leia and Obi-Wan Kenobi on Disney+, Plus, now oh, there's a kid actor. That girl's tremendous as a little Princess Leia. I'm sorry, George, but this is a bad casting. Pro, I love Coruscant. I love that we spend so much time there and we get to see this, the Senate, the Jedi Temple, and we get to meet Rick Ollier, the pilot. Help! Okay. Star Wars' most unique character. Rick Ollier, the guy that flies the Queen shuttle around from place to place. All the man does is speak in ep- exposition. Every line that he has is exposition. All right? The fuel cells are leaking. We'll never make it to Coruscant. We get to Coruscant. Coruscant, the entire planet is one big city. There's the Senate. And look, there's Chancellor Valorum. In the space battle at the end. <laughs> we didn't hit it! Like, he, he just... All he says is what's in front of his face. He's Captain Hindsight or Captain Obvious. And I love him. But I love Coruscant, the planet city. I love the sights and sounds of Coruscant. It's pretty fucking badass. Pro, even though it's a little strange that Anakin Skywalker invented C-3PO... I like seeing his origins, and I like that R2-D2 was just a little ship-fixing droid on Naboo that got engulfed in this giant conflict. Poetry. It rhymes. Pro, Ian McDiarmid as Senator Palpatine, and then, of course, Supreme Chancellor Palpatine and Darth Sidious, the Phantom Menace himself via hologram. Love it. He's great. Pro, did you guys know that E.T. is in the Senate? Rewatch the Phantom Menace or just Google it. There's a bunch of ETs in the Senate yelling for Supreme Chancellor Valor to be fucking taken out. It's awesome. Pro, even though I talk some shit about Jake Lloyd, I like the scene where him he gives Padme the little Japur snippet necklace. It's cute, and it actually seems innocent and not creepy. 
But no, I, I do like it. It's a little something we can build off of. Pro. The sequence in the Jedi Temple where Yoda, I prefer the puppet, talks to Anakin Skywalker and Mace Windu, and they tell him he shall not be trained. And Yoda gives... It's a famous line. It was in all the trailers. Yoda says, Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. I love that that fear, anger, and hate are literally the emotions that Anakin Skywalker ends up feeling in each episode. In episode one, he's fearful that he's, you know, he's like, he, he's fearful to leave Tatooine. He's fearful to be on a planet he doesn't understand. He's fearful when the Jedi is, are talking to him. He's full of fear. But that's kind of a normal thing. But there's too much fear in you to train you. Anger? The kid's pretty angry during episode two. He kills all them Tusken Raiders. He's angry at Obi-Wan for not letting him face the Jedi trials. And then hate. What's the last thing he says to Obi-Wan Kenobi? I believe it's the last thing. He says, And if you're doing this as a math equation, fear plus anger plus hate equals suffering? Well, right after he tells Obi-Wan he hates him, I believe he catches on fire. And spends the rest of his life suffering in one way, shape, or form. And that's just good writing. I like the Jedi Temple. I like the Jedi Council. I think they're awesome additions to Star Wars mythology. I even like Yaddle. The little girl Yoda. Voiced by Bryce Dallas Howard in a tremendous Star Wars Tales of the Jedi episode where she fights Count Dooku to the death. Khan. The revelation of Padme actually being Queen Amidala is a big... What, you guys didn't already know that moment? Pro, the Gungans uniting with the Naboo for the final battle. We kind of talked about that with the Ewoks. Pro, episode one introduces the Star Wars Act 3 cross-cutting between battles dynamic, which, yes, I know was introduced in other Star Wars episodes. But if you watch them in order, this is the one that introduces it. You get the battle with the Trade Federation battleship, cross-cut with the Duel of the Fates, cross-cut with Padme, uh, in the castle, cross-cut with the Gungans battling the battle droid army. Jumping off of that, Khan, the space battle, which is a huge staple of episodes 4 and 6. Compared to those episodes, this space battle's pretty weak. Let's not kid ourselves. Pro, I love the battle between the Gungans and the battle droids. I still think it looks good. I, I'd hear your argument if it doesn't, especially the little blades of grass blowing in the wind, but that scene... Where the battle droids are not activated and they come out of the transport and then they activate them. And they all grab their guns in unison and spin. Gets me. I get the goosebumps every time. Every time. Pro, we talked about a little bit in episode two the Duel of the Fates. Not only the song, but the battle, the Duel of the Fates between Darth Maul, Qui Gon Jinn, and Obi Wan Kenobi. I mean,. It's, it's, uh, what else can I say that hasn't been said? It's amazing. It introduced, it, it introduced us to a whole new concept of what lightsaber fighting could be. John Williams is off the charts awesome with Duel of the Fate. I mean, all the music in this. I like Anakin's theme. I like the little droid army theme that I just performed. I mean, a lot of the themes in this film become staples of the prequel trilogy. Like, well done, John Williams. Well done. But this, I mean, the, the Duel of the Fates is awesome. Scene, battle, music, awesome. Another pro, the Duel of the Fates outcome, is it's a little obvious, 
but it's definitely what we wanted and what we needed. Con, playing off of what I just talked about with Anakin Skywalker showing up as a uh, Hayden Christensen in Revenge of the, in Return of the Jedi. Qui-Gon Jinn doesn't disappear when he dies like other Force Ghost users do, so just leave it alone. Sure, it's here on con because it doesn't make sense, but just, if you're if you're going to be pissed off that Hayden Christensen is in Episode 6, you better be pissed off about this too. Just be consistently pissed off. Pro, though, Qui-Gon's funeral is awesome, even if it's spoiled on the soundtrack listing. Uh, specifically, the always two there are, no more, no less. A master and an apprentice. But which was destroyed? The master or the apprentice? Now, I saw this happen live just a few weeks ago as my son watched The Phantom Menace for the very first time. And after Mace Windu says, which is destroyed, the master or the apprentice, my son, mind you, has no prior knowledge of any Star Wars. They pan over to Senator Palpatine and kind of lay it on real thick, like, oh, that's Darth Sidious in case you didn't figure it out yet. Well, he hadn't figured it out yet. And he popped like it was WrestleMania. He goes, oh, it's him. And I was like, well done, George. Well done. Because we all knew when we saw it. Like, we already knew. But it works if you don't know. And that impressed me. Uh, last pro. Well, not last pro, but last one that's about the actual movie. I like the celebration at the end. It's cool. Yeah. Con. This movie just had way too much to live up to. And that's that's our fault. But it was never going to. Never. 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 Pro! Who remembers being a teenager or even a kidster in 1999 and being inundated with all this Star Wars promotional material? I mean, Pizza Hut was the planet Naboo. KFC was Tatooine. Taco... No, wait... Pizza Hut was Coruscant, Taco Bell was Naboo, and... No, Pizza Hut was Coruscant, Taco Bell was Tatooine, and KFC was Naboo. And if you went to those different restaurants, you could get different goodies associated with those planets. Every fucking Pepsi can, Diet Pepsi, Pepsi One, Mountain Dew, Diet Mountain Dew, they all had a different character. Collect all 20 whatever. I collected all 20 whatever. I mean... Spaceballs made fun of Spaceballs the flamethrower. You can make fun of over-marketing, promotional tie-ins. Do I really need Star Wars characters on my laundry detergent? Sure, we, we don't. We don't. But, man, if you were around for that, there's no way you can't be nostalgic for it. If you're a fan. It, it, I don't know. I guess I was right age, right place, right time. You know, I was in high school, but, you know, still kind of young. I was like a freshman. I was a sophomore in high school. You know, I mean, I'll never forget. I was, my brother took me to school every day. He was a senior. And we uh, were parking the car. And we literally got rear-ended. And this is the day that Phantom Menace came out of the years. It was a Wednesday. Phantom Menace, the whole time, drive to school. We're talking about Phantom Menace, Phantom Menace. We're going right after school. We had tickets. We had everything. Uh, we went to the theater to get them a week early. Just couldn't, couldn't order them online. So we get rear-ended. And the car my brother was driving was so old that, like, the front seat, you didn't have individual seats. It was like a bucket seat. And as we got rear-ended, the entire back of the seats collapsed. And we're laying fucking vertically. And we look right at each other. 
knowing full well that not only was the car damaged, but there was no way we had seats, looked me dead in the eye and said, don't worry, we'll still go see the Phantom Menace some way, somehow. And we did! We took mom's minivan. But, I mean, just unbelievable hype for the Phantom Menace. Did it live up to it? I don't know. I sure did see it five times, though, so you tell me. But, folks, that's a wrap on Galaxy Man Episode 1, covering the least of the tremendous Star Wars saga, of which we love. And, you know, if it doesn't match up with your list, that's the fun of it. Come back, because Episodes 2 and 3 will be forthcoming and just as a side note, I apologize. I know the feed hasn't been updated a lot recently. We had some sickness spreading around the Johnny C household. And it just wasn't no time for podcasting. But I hope this lived up to expectations. Come back for episodes two and three. But do us a favor. Subscribe to the new TNN podcast feed. That way you get notified when all of our content drops. Wrestling, movies, the fucking crazy life of Hulk Hogan and Stu Hart shows. Yeah, those exist. Or, you know, the next two episodes of Galaxy Man, which will come, you know, probably sooner. But keep a little distance between them. Make sure you get to listen, time, and everything like that. But most importantly, remember, I'm Johnny C. And a winner is you. And I guess may the force be with you and all that shit.